This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Two. And we are recording with Mr. Roger Williams, and I've got a mouthful of food with broccoli and cauliflower and peas and carrots and chicken. Because I'm a fat slob who needs to lose weight. I'm 31, there's no excuse. But because I'm chewing, I'm going to be muting the microphone in a second. And Roger is going to take over because he's a gentleman and a scholar. And he also had no idea I was about to do this to him. So with that, the author of my favorite book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, the book, as always, will be available in the description. But I'm going to keep chewing because I'm a little pig and I'm going to, I need to keep eating. So Roger, take it away, my friend. Yeah, I've I've been there too, Tommy. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, I'll uh, start by reminding all of your viewers if they uh, want a paper copy of my book, the Metamorphosis Prime Intellect. Uh, the best place to get it is from Lulu L U L U dot com. They are the publisher of Origin, and the cost is the same as getting it off of Amazon. But I get a lot more of the money because I get the cut that Amazon and the book chain normally gets. Uh, as far as ebooks and stuff like that, you can go ahead and get those through Amazon. That doesn't matter. Uh, just for paper copies, go to Lulu. Anyway, uh, Tommy uh, texted me earlier in the week and didn't want to do another reading from the curators this week. Uh, he wanted to do something a little more uh, Professor Rogerish. So I decided I would uh, give y'all a little tour of my camera collection. And uh, it's incomplete. There's a great big hole in the middle of the show and tell presentation. Uh, but that itself is part of the show and tell presentation. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in the present day and move backward because I think it makes a better presentation that way. So right now, I'm going to bet that everybody watching this has one of these not the circuit board but the little black square thing in the middle of the circuit board okay if you were to take your cell phone apart uh that is a cell phone camera and it is let me see if i can get a better angle on it here it is literally a black box with a lens and a ribbon cable. And you might be going, okay, well, so what about that? Uh, this was the state of the art starting around 2010, maybe a little before in some advanced cases. Now it's everything. Most people who have a camera really have a cell phone, and this is the camera. The rest of this board is called an Alcam. And the reason it exists, this was a Kickstarter. This is one of the few Kickstarters that I've ever funded in my entire life. And it was created to make this dinky-ass little thing in the middle usable for hobbyists and 
amateurs because the camera itself is not usable by hobbyists and amateurs. So on this board, there's a microcontroller, there's an SD card, and uh, there's a lot of functionality that can be enabled. You can uh, set it up so that it will take pictures when it's triggered by an external event or so that it works like an intervalometer to do time lapse. Uh, it was really cool. And I ended up not actually ever using it, but I wasn't sorry that I funded the Kickstarter. It was actually a pretty cool deal and it, it wasn't that expensive. Uh, but you would ask yourself, how complicated could it be to use a cell phone camera for something else? And it turns out the answer is very stupidly complicated. This is called the Prop Cam, and it is made by a company called Parallax in Rockland, California. And like the Alcam, this was made to take a cell phone core and make it usable for hobbyists. But it's actually quite different, though. The Alcam ships images. It's meant to record images, and it gives you control over how the images are recorded, when they're recorded, stuff like that. But the ultimate output of the Alcam is images on the SD card. The prop cam is meant more like for hobby robots. Like if you want your robot to be able to follow a ball around, it can actually report the coordinates of something of a certain color if it's unique enough within the field of view. Uh, it does specialist stuff like that. But the thing is, in 2011, I actually took a vacation in California, part of which was a field trip to Parallax, their facility in Rockland, California. And I talked to the guy who built this for Parallax uh, for about an hour or two. And he had some, some really interesting stories about the experience of making uh, this camera. Uh, do the things that he wanted it to do. He said that the document that tells you how to use this thing, okay, is 400 pages long. And in order to get access to it, it takes a four-digit license fee, which I think Parallax was able to get waived because they're in an they're, they're an education company, not a cell phone manufacturer or something. Uh, and it's still incomplete. He said that there was a lot of example code in there that was pushing magic numbers into registers in the camera's memory without explaining what those numbers did or anything. And so there was a whole back and forth between him and the camera people. And it was clear that he didn't rate as far as having any you know status to get questions answered or anything. Uh, so that little stupid piece of plastic with the lens and the ribbon cable contains mysteries. <laughs> it's like you uh, you could spend years figuring out all of the little details of how it works. And the thing is, they're going to come out with another, a different one next year and it'll all reset. It'll all be different. So those are made for a company like sony or apple or uh samsung that has a room full of engineers that can work out 
how it works, what it does, what it needs to do. Uh, and of course, nowadays, camera capability is a big sales point for cell phones. You know, we all know that the latest cameras all have more than one camera because on that little stupid piece of plastic, you can't change the lens. So, right, you have multiple lenses, you have multiple, actually, you have multiple cameras because you can't change the lens on a cell phone camera. So that's sort of where everything is nowadays. Uh, you've got the black box mystery meat, which your cell phone manufacturer has taken it, you know, uh, done the, the deal with. Uh, now, as far as camera cameras, let's see. Well, uh, oh, here it is. This is one of our more recent ones. And uh, this is uh, what's called an ultra zoom. So in operation, this lens telescopes out and this can do deep telephoto in addition to all of the other digital camera stuff. It's got a nice little display back here. And I can't show you it working because uh, this thing got broken. <laughs> it's like we we treated it kind of hard, and my wife wouldn't let me have the current one that we're using now for uh, this demo. Um, but uh, this is uh, this was I think our third ultra zoom digital camera, and this is a specialty. The first one. This is an Olympus product, and you know you can see the trade name down there. One of the things Olympus cameras all seem to have in common, so you'll notice that there's aluminum tape here because the rubberized coating finish that Olympus puts on these cameras has a habit of coming off after a few years, and so then we have to fix it. But these were really great cameras as cameras. Uh, unlike your cell phone, you can take this camera and point it at a hawk that is perched on a telephone pole a hundred feet away and get a pretty decent picture of the hawk. And one of the reasons is the size of the lens. If you think about it, even the prop cam has a little bigger than normal for cell phone lens. There's not much comparison. there. Uh, this lens gathers more light. Has longer focal length. What is it in the in the prop cam that is so so unique? You said it couldn't be used by hobbyists. Well, it was actually it's the op it's designed to be used by hobbyists, but for particular things. Uh, Parallax uh, does things like hobby robotics, and so this camera isn't designed to record images. This camera is designed to be a robot's eyes. Got it. So uh, it tells you real-time things about, like, if you tell it, I want to look for something this color, and you have a red ball that's in the room somewhere, this can tell you where in the field of view the red ball is, which is totally different from normal camera functions. This doesn't have a way to ship an image. That's not what it's designed to do. It's designed to be eyes for a robot and to have different functionality as far as, as uh, that, that sort of thing. Um, 
But in order to make it do those things, the guy who designed it had to understand how the camera module works so that they could make the propeller module use that information to do the stuff that the hobbyist would need in order to make the robot follow the ball around the room or stuff like that. Um, Are all the, uh, the magic numbers, the mystery meat. Now is that proprietary information or is that maybe, is that more like NSA backdoor shit? No, it is completely proprietary and it changes every damn year. Uh, Every time they come with a new model, it's all different. Uh, And it's another book, you know, it's another telephone book documentation as to exactly what everything does. If you had it fully documented, Uh, they're a tremendous pain to work with. Uh, And of course, uh, for cameras like this, uh, one of the things that happened in the teens that is what they call uh, feature fatigue. So you would get your first digital camera and it would have all of these features where you could put it in different modes and you could uh, manually adjust the things that you wanted to manually adjust. And this was involved getting into menus and stuff and you would learn it all. And then your camera breaks and can't be fixed because none of these things can really be serviced. So you get a new one and it's got very similar capabilities, probably better capabilities, but it's also completely different. The menus are arranged differently. Everything's, you know, okay, the capabilities are not quite the same. And so eventually everyone ends up getting their fourth or fifth digital camera. They just leave it in the same damn mode all the time and take snapshots. It's like, you know, how to, how to turn a $300 camera into an Instamatic. Okay. This one, this $2,000 Sony. I opened yeah. up the manual, found out how to zoom in. Found out how to get the video in. The color was good. I haven't touched it in eight months. <laughs> and I won't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the modern story, really, of, uh, you know, so, and of course, we have the ultra zoom camera because a lot of what we were doing is wildlife, uh, particularly birds, because that's what Elaine is interested in is, is birds. And so you need telephoto to do birds. Uh, there was the original. Uh, ultra zoom camera was made by uh, Olympus in the early aughts and it was produced for about two years. We don't have it anymore because ours broke and we finally discarded it because we couldn't do anything with it, but it, uh, it didn't telescope. It had this lens was always out here. So if you're wearing it on this, it was like, okay. Uh, But, it was a fantastic camera for its time for, you know, the capabilities were unmatched by anything else. And after Olympus stopped making it, it was a good five years before they came out with another camera that had the same capabilities. So there was actually a very lively market for ultra zoom products. That particular camera that they made in the early aughts was uh, for a good five years, even after it was out of production, there was nothing that equaled it. So there were people who would pay top dollar for used cameras of that model because there was nothing else like it. Now, of course, the other thing is you can go to DSLRs and I'll have more to say about them in a minute. Uh, but 
we have always been fond of the point and shoot cameras because they are minimalist. They're very portable. They don't have a lot of the cruft that uh, exchangeable lens cameras have. And we what? come from the what? The cruft? Cruft. Yes, there's uh, all the stuff that you have to keep track of. You've got to have a bag. Ah, uh, got Your it. Lenses in it. Okay. Even if you don't have film anymore, you've still got all these accessories and stuff. You know, you've got your flash, which is not part of the camera. It's external. And, and you know, because let's face it, if you're taking a telephoto uh, picture of a hawk on a telephone pole and you need to use a flash, the flash that's built into the camera ain't cutting it. Yeah. So you have to have some you know special stuff for that. So right now the DSLRs are considered the professional level cameras in this digital age. Right now, now nowadays the only people who use film cameras are real fucking rich snobs. And I say that as an ex-film snob myself. Uh, so the inflection point for me personally was this camera. This is made by Epson. Better known for their printers. Okay. Uh, this is a 1.3 megapixel camera. And as you can see, it's not very miniature by modern standards. This was one of the first digital cameras ever made that had a sensor that was actually made for still photo cameras, not just a repurposed video sensor. I had one of those at work uh, that was about two years older than this camera. It was a piece of shit. It was terrible. Uh, this camera can actually take a long exposure. Uh, it uh, can take several different resolutions. Uh, it's not very high resolution by modern standards, but if you're taking pictures for putting them on the internet, to this day, it's completely adequate, or it would be if it still worked. That's the other thing about these. It has a whopping 48 megabytes. 48 megabyte uh, the future. Compact flash card, which was at the time one of the largest Solid yeah. state storage devices you could buy. This was in 2001. And uh, the way we got the digital religion was we took this camera to Trinidad. When we booked the tour to go to Trinidad, there was a serious luggage limitation. And so we knew that the bag with all the 35 millimeter stuff and the film and all that stuff uh was just going to be a complete hassle to take uh, to take along. And so we brought that camera because we had just bought it. And it was a revelation because with a film camera, every time you push the shutter release, it costs money. And you don't find out until you get home. If the picture many... is worth it. Right. But with this camera, you go back to the hotel room at night and you go, okay, that one's out of focus. Delete. That one's out of focus. Delete. That one's motion blurred. Delete. This one isn't framed right. Delete. This one, all right, it might be okay. You can't tell much on this LCD, Yeah, but you can at least discard the really bad fails. It makes it, 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 makes it much freer 
to just hit the shutter release. We'll figure out whether we got the bird in the frame when we get back to the hotel. Yeah. And uh, even though that's only a three to one zoom, that's equivalent to maybe a hundred millimeter, uh, 35 millimeter camera zooms completely out. Uh, for what we were doing, it was still just so much more convenient that we were, we were blown away. And yeah. we, we had been like the world's biggest film snobs before that. Uh, and that was like, with that trip, all of a sudden digital photography was a thing. Yeah. Now, it was in 2005 that the rest of the world got that memo. And one of the reasons I do not have any 35 millimeter camera bodies to show you is that we sold them all. Because in 2005 uh, and 2006, almost all of the major manufacturers just canceled their 35 millimeter camera production and made steps to move to digital. And the other film snobs who didn't want to move away from film all panicked because they weren't going to be able to get cameras anymore. And so there was a couple of years there where it was a seller's market. If you had 35 millimeter camera equipment, then you could get decent money for it. And so we sold all ours. <laughs> so, uh, so all I have left is a few things that I hacked and that, uh, that aren't quite standard that nobody wanted to buy. Uh, but from the 35 millimeter uh, era we we shot on 35 millimeter uh basically since we started taking photos in the mid 80s through the early aughts and when we first started doing this we actually had aspirations that uh one of the ways out of the workaday trap might have been to become like a nature nature photojournalists or uh you know professional photographers of one stripe or another and uh there was for a while, there was an opening there. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the things that happened with digital photography is it also became an arms race uh, as far as more more expensive equipment to get the faster lenses and the longer focal lengths and everything. So uh, we noticed when we would go on birding tours, we would be with like rich dentists and shit and they would be you know they would have fifteen thousand dollar camera rigs along you know yeah. lenses that were this big and shit yeah. and you don't even really need to try when you have something like that you just snap a photo and it just by default looks better and it's yeah like, well, I, well fuck you, you can get the photo that i can't because you've got a f4.5 300 millimeter lens which is this big and we've got an f8 and so ours is motion blurred Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And yours isn't. And even though we were on the same birding tour. So that was one of the things that killed that dream. Anyway, for yucks, I've got, still have a completely fresh roll of 35 millimeter film here, which has been out of expiration since 1990 or so. <laughs> um, 
in 35 millimeter land, uh, the only films that anyone professional would shoot were Kodachrome 25 and 60 and Fujichrome 50 and 100. Anything other than that, no one would want to look at your pictures. These are slide films. So when you take the picture, you have a positive image on the actual film. You don't have to get it printed in order to see what it looks like once you get it developed. This is what all the magazines wanted. We were attentive to that. And so we have always shot, uh, when we were doing film, we always shot slide film because of that. That was what the professionals did. Uh, and in the course of time, we actually did get a few pictures published, but it was uh, kind of like my writing. It was never quite enough to, you know, be a foundation of anything. You know, we paid which, for our camera. Which you, the listener, can change if you go buy the book. <laughs> Link in description. It will be there. It will blow up. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, one of the things about the 35 millimeter cameras, uh, the SLRs, is that they were somewhat hackable, especially the older ones. So uh, I did a couple of cool things, one of which was this. This is a 200 millimeter telephoto lens. How do you focus it? Like that. This is a T-mount. Uh, we used Yashica camera bodies because you could get the Carl Zeiss lenses uh, that were made for them natively. but. Uh, this lens was surplus. Okay, this is a 240 millimeter f4 lens uh, that even has an iris, so you can stop it down. I paid eight dollars and ninety-five cents for this lens. I think this I, one is Carl. I've recognized that name, Zeiss. Carl Zeiss. Yeah, they're one of yeah one of the world's leading manu. I, I'm about to show you a Carl Zeiss lens. Uh, this is a Bosch and Loam. And this lens probably cost four or five hundred dollars when it was new in the nineteen seventies. They use that name. I've recognized that name. That name is in Grand Theft Auto, but they have it. It's a uh, eyeglasses. No, no, no. In Grand Theft Auto, it's a weapons manufacturer. Yeah, they. <laughs> Side note. Sorry. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. They they got into a lot of stuff, but they're they were basically any of these companies that makes high tech equipment like this tended to make other high tech equipment in other fields. So, um, speaking of Carl Zeiss, in the same vein, this is a Carl Zeiss three hundred millimeter f five point six lens, and I did at one point have this lens mounted on a tube like this one so that I could take pictures with it with my 35-millimeter camera. Uh, I would eat this lens if it cost less than $1,000 when it was new. I want to say I probably paid about $25 for it. Uh, this lens will project an incredibly clear image of a, uh, an 18 by 18 piece of paper and project it on a billboard, and it will be razor sharp. sharp. Uh, these lenses are stupidly overkill for what I was using them for, which meant that it was possible to take some really interesting pictures. Uh, using the Bosch and Loam, uh, we went to the zoo and I, I was able to get like uh, really fantastic close-ups of animals that were somewhat far away, but also uh, pulling it out like this, 
what you're doing here is the further you pull this out, the closer you're focusing. Okay. So this made it a fantastic macro lens. I mean, I could take full frame pictures of butterflies and, and bright pictures because this lens gathers a lot of light. You know, it's, it's a very fast lens. Uh, and nobody actually makes a lens like this for the camera industry because nobody is, would be willing to pay for it. Um, this was a nice thing about those cameras is that they didn't have any automation. You had a lens for a camera. You have your focus mechanism. You had your f-stop, and that was on the lens. And there wasn't any connection to the camera body. There was no autofocus. There was, in some cases, a lever that would stop the lens down when you took the picture and then open it back up so you could see better through the viewfinder. Uh, but uh, this was another little hack that I did. This is a lens that I got for like $20 in a surplus, and it was for a different camera than mine. So I took apart one of the 50 millimeter lenses because with every damn camera body, you get a 50 millimeter lens. It's the most boring lens in all of photography. Can't use it for anything realistically. So I took the bayonet mount off of the Yashica 50 millimeter lens and bolted it onto this one so that I could mount it on my camera bodies. Uh, and the end result, this is a 135 millimeter focal length lens. So this is semi telephoto. This is actually a really good portraiture lens. Uh, and because the Yashica camera body was thicker than the one this lens was designed for, after I did this, it wouldn't focus at infinity anymore. Uh, but it turned out to be a fun lens to use because it also did decent uh, low-level macro stuff because it didn't focus at infinity, but it would focus a lot closer than it was designed to because it's further from the film than the designers expected it to be. So you had all these little things going on that you had to kind of know about. Yeah. What is the infinity? Because <clears throat> probably should have mentioned this earlier. So I got really into photography in like sixth grade. I mean, as I do with things, basketball, weightlifting, pre-med, podcasting, just fucking obsessed. So like 12 years old, just like tearing through like Ansel Adams books. So you're and, digging this. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think it was Christmas sixth grade. So that would have been December, 2002. I remember my parents got me like, yeah, one of the original like digital cameras it was a Sony, uh, whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, that would have been, yeah, it was, I know it was at least a megapixel. Um, that would have been right around contemporary with this guy here. Yeah. It was probably not too, it was probably another 1.3 megapixel camera. That was state was, of the art around yeah, 2001, 2002. Cybershot. It was Sony Cybershot. Okay. That's yeah. why I remember the name. I remember that, that camera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was like my OG MB3 player. I would like videotape my <laughs> older brother. My older brother, John, would play Red Hot Chili Peppers songs for me and I would take a video on it and then I would play the video back to myself. The most inefficient way to listen to music. Battery, <laughs> resolution. Point is, is I did like, I loved photography. I just, I just loved taking pictures. I was absolutely terrible at it. But, and I remember, I remember like zooming in though you'd have like a certain level of like zoom in that was like good. But I remember like, I remember we like went on top of like the empire state building and I was like zooming in with it. And it's, and it was there that I noticed something that I also noticed on a plane. There was like this thing where it just could, would just keep zooming. 
like it would have like it's it had it's almost like it's like first set of zoom like you could zoom in mm-hmm. this much but then there's this zoom that just didn't stop like it would just i swear to god it would just keep until it just got like fuzzy but it just zoomed yeah. it just zoomed well, forever this camera this camera does this too this 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 camera has a three to one optical zoom which means that it's actually adjusting the focal length of the lens by moving the elements back and forth. Uh, but then you reach, then it would go to digital zoom, which uh, is basically okay. scrolling in. It, yeah. Basically at that point, it's taking a smaller and smaller uh, sample Got of okay. the image sensor. Okay. And of course it's getting coarser and coarser because you have less and less pixels when you do so that. So it's like me using a 4k camera or something and I can zoom in so much on the Carl Zeiss. And then after that, I'm scrolling in on the screen recording of the Mac. Yeah. Where you're not getting better resolution. You're just. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, you're losing resolution, but you're gaining the ability to, to, to zoom on things if you don't need all that resolution. That was one of the things that Andy of, uh, with Atun Shea did when he uh, filmed the, our interview and made the documentary about Mopi. Uh, is he did a lot of uh, zooming and framing and moving the frame around because he had a 4K camera. He he filmed all of that interview on a DSLR. Uh, and uh, I was really surprised at the use he made of it, because for one thing, he, uh, uh, you know, the, the camera baseline is four to three aspect ratios, normal camera. But he filmed the whole interview in 16 by nine and, you know, widescreen. And he did that by taking sample you know like subsets of the frame around my head and all because i was sitting in the same position the whole time i was sitting on my sofa he had the film on a tripod he had the camera on a tripod yeah and he was sitting behind it the camera never moved during our interview but he made very creative use of uh taking you know digital zoom subframes of the full frame and making that the full frame for the video because you don't need 4K for yeah. an internet video. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one's. Yeah, yeah, on an, yeah. And if you are viewing it on like a you know a 50 inch whatever, you're really only going to start to notice it when you're three feet away, anyways. So that is yeah. the beauty of those giant resolutions. Is yeah, you don't and have you also, to read. Yeah, yeah, and you also tend not to notice missing resolution as much on video as you do on a still photo, because on still photos you can just yeah, sit there and go really uh, crack. You know. it. It's like uh. I remember in probably same time middle school, so 2002 to like four. I remember when we first started getting HD channels, and it was kind of like a perk. Maybe it was something my dad paid for extra for like sports mm-hmm. or something. But it was just the channel plus 700. So you turn on the news, you could watch it. You know, so channel 12 I weather, did. you could watch it on 712. And what we and my brothers would do is we'd watch like a Red Sox game, like a baseball game channel 50 and when we go to 750 and then we would just we would hit last on the remote and we would just jump in between standard def and high def and it would like burn your eye to the point where it's like you, you know you could even walk in you know you could walk into the room and within like three seconds you'd be like hey put it on hd because it was so much more clear yeah and i the realized effect is subtle but it's very noticeable if you know if if, if you look at the difference well, then yeah i think um, the difference was like it was like a 540p to like 1080 hdr and it was so i mean you could just see like the grass on the baseball field but i say that to say <laughs> you know 
when I jumped from like the webcam to here up to the nice Sony, like you can tell like the first episode I started using this camera. When I look at like 8K stuff, as much as the psychopath OCD in me wants to like film this podcast in 16K, the reality is, is I've like watched, you know, on like an 8K monitor, I've like watched like the 8K versus the 4K. And sometimes you can tell immediately, sometimes it takes like 30 seconds, but it finally dawned on me. The fact that it isn't overwhelmingly, you just go, that one, that one, like, why and, why and, spend the money unless of course you're filming like a movie that you got to do cropping yeah and i've made the case this is one of the things where you know you'll remember from our moore's law discussion that we are reaching the limit where the computers and the sensors and everything are doing as much as they need to it's it not be, even all yeah. that noticeable if you improve it so uh that may be one of the things that limits future innovation is there simply isn't any incentive for it just like there's no incentive to build a rocket motor more powerful than the f1 yeah um yeah so i feel like the next step would be for like video games it would obviously it would be like haptics it'd be there'd be a new a new which which people have you know they've they've had some things in that direction you had the wii and you've had a few haptic controllers but no one has ever standardized it uh, yeah. enough so that it's, you know, that, that that actually gets you into a problem with cameras because it's like the feature fatigue problem with digital cameras. It's, uh, it's like, say you are an old school film snob like me, okay, and you want to control the depth of field and the focus and, and, and all of this. Well, you can do that sort of, but it requires going into a menu on your camera and yeah. turning on that feature and operating it as opposed to the natural camera that, you know, like this lens, this is your focus mechanism. It's always active. It's always there, you know, uh, because I hacked this lens, uh, the, the diaphragm actually makes the view dimmer when you stop it down because it's not being held open until you take the picture. But, it also allows you to see the depth of field, mm. you know, because when you stop it down, you get a deeper depth of field. It's especially important with a telephoto lens because a fast telephoto lens tends to have, you know, like about a half an inch depth of field at the point where you're taking the picture. Uh, so being able to see that is an advantage. But with the digital cameras, the interface is different on every camera. There's no standardization. It's like and, and they're starting to do this with cars. It's like yeah. for 50 years, if you got into a car that you had never driven before, you could just, by a, dri- you could just drive it. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to know, how do I turn the goddamn air conditioner on? You know, it's like, it's a touch screen. It's like, it's, I've got to look at the, We're know, still kind of there with like television remotes though, right? You could go well, to a friend's house. You're still just like, what, how the fuck do I? Well, DVD uh, remotes are, are standardized sure. in the worst possible way because the standard was designed by a committee. But if you know how to use one DVD player without going crazy, then you know how to use them all. And TV sets, they, 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 there's few enough functions that it's not too hard to figure them out. Yeah. But, man, have you been in a, in a late model car lately? There, I mean, like... Uh, a, a 20, 21, or 22 model car, it's like a computer with an internal combustion engine, and they all have different control systems. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. You know, and and I'm, I'm going like, 
uh, first of all, where's the emergency stop button? Because if you built a machine like this that's capable of killing people, which cars are, and put it in a factory, and it didn't have a big red mushroom button that you could slap to turn the machine off, it would be banned. Yeah. It would be an OSHA violation. They're building all these goddamn cars. They, they, they don't. They, how, how do you turn it off? They, they turn themselves on because, you know, you know, the keys are in the other car, but the car will still start because they're within RF range. I'm uh, like, I don't want this. I was with, <laughs> I was with one of my friends who's got a Tesla and so does his, his, his girlfriend. <laughs> I was at like their house and like I got in one and we start to leave and he was like, he was like, oh wait, she's coming back. Like I have to like, or no, he's like, she just parked and like got inside and we had just gotten another car and we're leaving. And it was something like, oh wait, we can't pull away just yet. He was like, I have to like, I have to make sure that like I'm a certain distance from the car. Like I can't turn on Spotify, but if she turns Spotify on in the house, our shared subscription won't let us use this. And then we'll have to go back. And because I don't have this key, technically we can. And I was like, what? Who wants this? <laughs> Shout out to my fucking Honda Civic. It's just like, nope, piece of metal, put it in there, turn it on, burns gas. Woo. But yeah, yeah. No, my brother's got a Tesla. He picked me up in that and took me to Alex Jones on New Year's Eve. And I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah. Like, the, the, late, the latest model car that I regularly drive, my company car is 2016 Ford Fusion. And one of my coworkers a couple of years ago had to rent a car. And his rental car was a 2020 Ford Fusion. And so he was like, hey, Raj, come look at the car. You know, it's like, and... My car has the usual center panel with the air conditioner controls and everything. And the car he rented had a big touchscreen. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want this. I mean, you can't operate a touchscreen without taking your eyes off the road. Yeah. To, to touch, you know, it's like, this has no business in a car. Yeah. But now everything's going to that. Uh, but anyway, that's, you know, the way we got onto this is that's happened with cameras. You yeah. buy a camera now and it's like, well, maybe, you know, it's like you've got a manual that's that thick uh-huh. listing all the modes and shit. And typical user will uh, get to the point where this is portrait mode. This is landscape mode. And that's it. You know, that that's the most that they will learn about how to use the camera. And the like, rest of it is the electronics and the camera guessing for you. <laughs> when I got this iMac, when I jumped from the laptop to the iMac last like June, I got it. It was like shipped here late at night. I like put it on like the chair outside, and like the next day set it up. It was like, and I've been on I've been on Apple forever, and I figured it out. When I got the Sony with the lens, despite like being like juiced up to like get a like get another level of podcast resolution. <laughs> I left it on the futon in the living room for like a week out of intimidation because I had opened it up and I got this. And I still have the fucking manual. It's one of the only pieces of shit. I, I got the iMac throughout the entire box. I don't give a fuck. I know how to work it. It's a mm-hmm. computer. I've never used it. I've been, I got, you know, a gaming PC. I haven't used a PC in a decade, but I know I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a mouse and a keyboard. I'll figure it yeah. out. That sat out there staring me down digging into my insecurities <laughs> and I like opened up the thing and I had to plug it in. And I was like, well, how that I was getting hot in the face and I was like watching videos. And I finally found the exact model because I was watching tutorials. What I didn't realize yeah. was I was watching a 2020 model, not a 2021. And it doesn't, and they're it's totally like, different. It goes from cuneiform <laughs> to Spanish. And I was just like, what the fuck? So I finally figured it out. Like I told you, I figured out the zoom, 
and I figured out and I figured out like the color. And you know what? When I want a different when I want a different view, do you know what I do? I do this. I don't fucking touch the Sony. I go over to the Zoom preferences. <laughs> say, no. Don't fuck with it. <laughs> and I jump in and I jump into the iMac camera when I want a different angle. And when I don't, <laughs> I go right back to this one. I don't fucking touch it. That's why. I don't give a shit. Yeah, and and that's that's been a trend. I mean, yeah. uh cameras got there first, I think as far as consumer devices, but uh it it's starting to be that way for everything. So anyway, hey, Roger, I'm going to go throw this in the fridge. Tell them where to get Lulu the book, Lulu Metamorphosis Primal Act. I already did. I know, tell them again. Uh yeah, if you want a uh paper copy of this book, then uh the best way to do it, from my perspective, is instead of going to Amazon, go to lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. Just search for the title or my name, Roger Williams, and it will be the same price. Lulu has very excellent customer service. I've dealt with them since uh, shortly after their founding. Uh, they were the original print-on-demand publisher uh, that would do this without ripping off the writer, which is me. Uh, they, uh, will sell you the book. They have to charge you the same. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply a charge yeah, that Amazon would because of the contracts that are involved. But when you buy it from Lulu, I get a lot more of the money. I mean, like literally like $6 instead of two. So uh, on the other hand, if, if you got an Amazon gift card or it's just easier, I don't uh, hold it against you. If you get your copy from Amazon, that's good too. I get by far the lion's share of my revenue for these things from Amazon because it's so much easier and they're more popular. But if you got a few extra moments and you would like to do me a solid, that would be kind of cool. As far as eBooks go to Amazon that there, they are the publisher of origin and that's where it originates anyway. So uh, yeah, but just for, for paper copies, that's that. Um, And I wonder how far Tommy's fridge is from the studio. Anyway, just chilling. In incidentally, my uh, Tommy Carrigan original shirt with Bob Lazar's handsome face there and all the UFO blueprints and stuff. Uh, this is a really cool shirt. Um, Tommy has some very nice designs. Uh, take a look at his merch. He's got some good shit. Are you talking? 
Yeah, I was plugging you because I finished plugging myself and you still weren't back. I decided to to mix like a Powerade drink. <laughs> Forgot I was fucking doing a podcast. I was like, oh, blue raspberry and ice. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah. talking to Roger. Um, yeah, so I was so I, I was plugging your shirt that I'm wearing. Oh, thank you. I have a I have the hoodie of that. And I also have I made like sweatpants out of it. And today. I decided to go like full like SoundCloud rapper, and I wore the full, <laughs> the full Bob Lazar to the, to the jail. Oh yeah, no, because I was like instead of some full full, because I have like the sweatpants designs of a couple of the ones I made, but I never wear them all together for obvious reasons to not look like I'm trying to do something. So instead, I just mm-hmm. have on like an insane hoodie or an insane pants, and then I'll always wear like a black something. So if I have the sweatshirt on, I just wear normal gray sweatpants. If I have the sweatpants on, I just wear like a black hoodie. Today I just looked at it and I was like, "Let's just go do like full tracksuit." And uh, I did it and went to the gym and I was like, "Because in my apartment complex, it's my gym. No one's ever fucking there. Three people there <laughs> walk in, and I'm just like, well." So I purposely like had to lift more weights than everyone else today because I was fucking looking like a jackass in a full body suit of Bob Lazar. And anyway, back to the camera. So, all right. So before, uh, you know, the thing about 35 millimeter is that uh, it was considered kind of the down uh, market cheap format in the late 60s and and 70s, because if you were a professional, you were doing what they call large format. And the reason for all of this is that film, chemical film silver halide, all that good shit. Uh, Film is more sensitive if it contains larger crystals of silver halide. So if you have a fast film, then it's grainy. And in the 60s and 70s, fast films that could actually do action photography in normal light were very noticeably grainy compared to films that uh, you would put the camera on a tripod and take a careful shot and make everything stable. Uh, this is why I said, you know, the, the films that I said were the standards, Kodachrome 25 uh, 20 and 60, Fujichrome 50 and 100, those are slow films. They were very fine-grained films. And uh, it, it actually took a few years for the Fujichrome to become acceptable in the magazine industry. We were getting into it right when that window was opening. Uh, and it was a lot easier to get Fujichrome developed. Kodachrome has its own development process. You can only take it to Kodak developers that have the special chemicals for that. The Fujichrome was developed by a normal uh, positive film process that was shared with other less quality films. Um, so you would 400 speed film was considered rather sketchy, but you needed 400 speed film to do sports photography because uh, especially indoors in a stadium, because you have not sunlight, you know, you have you have man-made light, you've got things that are in furious motion, you're trying to catch them, and you you're, you're going to blow this shit up to put it in Sports Illustrated. Thirty-five millimeter didn't cut it, so that's why you would have one of these, a medium format camera. Okay. This 
takes two and a quarter inch square negatives or, or positives if they're slides. Uh, so that's four times as much area as a 35 millimeter camera. And this is what you would get back Jesus. from the film shop. I don't have a medium format film you know, projector to project these slides. So yeah. I never bothered to have them mounted. But these are uh, slides that I actually took with this camera. I don't even know what they are anymore. But this is, this is the film that went in this camera. When you bought the film, it came in a cartridge, just like 35 millimeter film, only bigger. This cartridge is 12 pictures. Every time, every time you hit the shutter release on this puppy, it was about a dollar in the 1980s. And this brand new roll of film has been brand new since 1988 <laughs> so it is slightly expired um and plus i have no idea where i could even send it to get it developed nowadays but uh this camera is a twin lens reflex the reason it has two lenses is that the bottom one actually takes the picture and exposes the film and the top one is the one that you, you look through oh. <laughs> in order to frame the shot. So this is a simpler camera. This uh, The lenses are more expensive, but the camera is less expensive than a single lens reflex medium format camera. Hmm. The legendary example of a medium format SLR is the Hasselblads, uh, which were used on the by moon. the astronauts. That's what I was going to ask about. That's what I was going to ask you about. You fucking stole my thunder. I had two. <laughs> I had two points of contribution in this conversation: my digital camera and the Hasselblads, who I just long before I ever started the podcast, and I even try to do. I just always re- remembered that name from like some mm-hmm. documentary. It just sounded cool, Hasselblad. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a German manufacturer. Yeah, so and they had. Uh, and they had to be specially conditioned so that they would work in vacuum. But yeah. now, why those on the moon? Was it just highest resolution, sturdiness? Well, everything about cameras is compromises. Uh, everything about just... life is compromises, Roger. Yes. <laughs> so, what you wanted was you wanted the larger film. You wanted this as as your film stock, not the thirty five millimeter. Yeah. because that was a one quarter this size, you know, the size. Okay. So you, you're sending guys half a million miles. You yeah. want a decent quality picture, you want the good but, shit. but a larger camera and there are larger cameras. I am about to show you one in a little bit uh, is that much bigger and heavier and the consumables are bigger and heavier and more expensive. So, it, I mean, obviously the expense wasn't that big of a deal, uh on a moon shot considered yeah but the weight was yeah so that's true the Hasselblad was the compromise that they chose to get the best possible picture quality uh without uh taking like a whole view camera into orbit so uh the advantage of this camera 
is that it doesn't have the SLR mechanism, the mechanical complexity where it would have to flip the mirror up so that, you know, normally you're looking down at a mirror that's letting you look through the main lens. And then when you hit the shutter release, the mirror flips up and then the shutter does its thing and then the mirror flips back down. This camera doesn't have to do that because you're yeah. not looking through the main lens. Now, what this does have is it has a parallax problem because you're not looking They're through directly the main lens. That. So now, uh, when you are using a long focus lens, though, this camera, one nice thing about the, this, the Mamiya C3 is it can do really long focus extension. You can do serious macro photography with this camera, but to do it, you have to like, Aim, aim at the thing that you, you're looking at and then shift three inches because of the, the lens offset. Uh, but this is a really good quality camera. This is another set of compromises. Um, and you notice all the controls, uh, nothing here is labeled. There's, there's, there's no menus. You're supposed to know that this is the shutter release. There's nothing there labeled that says this is the shutter release or the big button that you push. Uh, here you have a locking mechanism because how do you change the lens? All right. I'm going to figure it out myself because I haven't used this camera in 20 years. Um my mom had it when I first started getting in it. Oh, my mom had an old camera, like a Pentax. Yeah, and it had yeah. There was some weird locking mechanism for the uh, the lens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Now, this has what's called a lens board. Okay, and you'll notice that I had this thing plugged into the lens. Uh, this is the flash adapter, and the reason it's plugged into the lens is that the shutters. The shutter is in the lens. So I take this lens and I want to do a little telephoto. So I take this lens and voila. Okay, that's how you change light. So, so you're, you're used to thinking that you have these bayonet mounts and all from the 35 millimeter days. This is uh, this camera was made between 1960 and 1965, so it's just a little bit older than I am. Um, and it was considered state of the art. It weighs about eight or nine pounds, and it was considered a lightweight portable camera that you would use for sports photography and, and stuff like that. Lightweight and portable. <laughs> okay. Um, the future. The, it was, this was the future. The future. Uh, <laughs> Trademark. F-U-C-H-A. That was medium format. Okay. Yeah, where's the big boy? So this is my large format camera. Oh God, Roger has a suitcase nuke. This is a speed graphic. Now, if Clark Kent was carrying a camera around in the 1930s as a journalist, this 
was the camera. This was the standard camera for journalists before World War II. So first, where's the lens? How do you open it? There's a hidden button here under the leatherette cover that pops the door open. Got these nice little latches here. And then you squeeze these two things and pull it out until oh. it locks. Yeah, no, I've, I've, seen, now, yeah, I've seen this, yeah. And now you have a focusing mechanism. Now, how do you focus it? Well, you open this door, which gives you a ground glass. So you can see what you're looking at upside down. I'm just starting to like see headlines in my eyes, like Japs bomb Pearl Harbor. So you get it all lined up. How do you take the picture? Well, where's the film? The film is in this. So you get ready to take your picture. Is that one picture? One picture. Well, it's two because it's got two sides. Okay. You slap it into the camera after you focused in the, in the camera, and now you are ready to take a picture. <laughs> Can you at least take it? And it's not like 1800s, like you got to pull the whatever fucking lever with the flash. Actually, this, this camera has a focal plane shutter. Yeah. Uh, they weren't always used. Hear that lovely mm. sound. Okay. And... Uh, and there is absolutely no interlocking of anything. You can open the shutter when there's film in it, when there's not film in it. There's no yeah. safeguards. Yeah, any- I got everything back in the day. Like, yeah, NASCAR uh, races with no fences. Just fuck it. Yeah. Darwinian. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, oh, and before you take your picture, now I slapped this into the camera, but I missed a step. You also have to pull the light stop out so that the film is exposed okay. to the inside of the camera. And uh, you have to remember to put this back before you Flip release it. this, which I know is possible. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's been a while. How, uh, now is that, is that like a, is that a, is that a replica or is that a real? Oh no, one? this is this is genuine. This was built before oh. World War II. Jeez. Uh, Graf, Graflex did not serialize their cameras. They did not put serial numbers or date codes on them. Uh, we do have this cool little metal plate here. To uh, well, can't get a very good view of it, but it tells you what your probable exposure levels are with the film lens with different tension settings. For the spring, I mean, this is like okay. The spring tensioner is on six, and I'm at position three, which is the you know the there's uh, several different widths of slot of slit in the in the focal plane shutter, which moves up to expose the film. I mean, but that is as archaic as it is. I mean, that was probably. That was probably some cutting edge shit, right? I oh, mean, it was. This was state of the art shit, man. This is yeah. like I said, if if Clark Kent was taking foot pictures for the Daily Planet, this was the camera that he used. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the reasons I know that this was 
almost certainly made before World War II, is that this is actually a little smaller than the usual speed graphic that you might see in use. The usual one was had uh, was four by five inches. <laughs> that's the small uh, version. That's the yeah right. This is uh, a, a what they considered a miniature version back in the 30s. It's uh, actually a three and a quarter by four and a quarter film slide uh, slot. And if you actually, you, you see, you have two sides, so you can flip this over. And of course, there's no nothing to protect you from taking a double exposure or anything like that. You've got to remember, oh, I used this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you open it up and there's the film. I just exposed it. Of course, it's been in here for 20 years, so yeah, no biggie there. And uh, if you plan to take more than one picture, you had a bunch of them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, that was photography before World War II. That's now, insane. yeah, uh, one thing you might or might not have noticed is that this is a homemade lens. Another one of those. This is another camera that used the lens board. And this is another surplus uh, copy lens that I put onto a board that I made myself. And the reason is that uh, because this camera has a focal plane shutter, a lot of the lenses that were sold with it didn't have shutters in them, like the Mamiya lenses too. Notice how you can't see through the, the bottom one. That's because it has a shutter. Mm. This lens doesn't have a shutter. A lot of the lenses that were sold with these cameras ended up getting stolen to use as copy lenses. So when I bought this camera, it didn't have a lens, and I had to make one. Uh, it actually works. I've, I've never used this camera with real film, but I have used it a few times with copy paper. In, as the film uh it's very slow you have to take a long exposure it's not sensitive to red light uh but it's much easier to develop yourself which is what you have to do because no one sells film this size <laughs> they sell four by five film but no one sells three and a quarter by four and a quarter film they didn't even sell it in the 90s so i would have to cut my own film and if it's real film that's sensitive to all the wavelengths of light, then you, I would have had to do that in total darkness. You would have had to put on night vision. So uh, by using copy paper, I was able to operate with a red light and, you know, load these things. And uh, then also under red light, uh, develop them when I got back home. So uh, I took, a, you know, two few pictures of like our neutral local nature reserve and stuff like that to prove the camera was workable and, and all that. But <laughs> seriously, if you were a journalist in the thirties, this is, this don't was be, the state of the art. Don't, don't be superfluous. You fucking take the picture when you see the picture. Yeah. <laughs> just, it was, you see the president, you take the picture. No, not before, not after. So, yeah. And, and you can imagine and, what it costs every God. time. You, that just makes pictures so much more valuable in my mind. It's not even like a presidential portrait where it's like, well, of course a camera is going to be available for the, but like action pictures, you know, yes. where you see a moment of like a moment of yeah. history, you know, like a, some world leader being assassinated or something. You're like how crazy it is that there was a camera there. But you notice you don't see a lot of 
still pictures from this era of sports and action type events. Yeah, what maybe, you, maybe a Mickey Mantle or something. Yeah. Swing. What you do see, what well, what you do see is is motion picture images, because there you've got a camera that is designed right. to take, you to know, run. well to run, yeah, twenty four pictures a second, whether you're pointing it at anything or not. Uh, but this is the camera that you would have used to take a picture that would be on the front page of the New York Times. I mean, you think of those like you know that picture at press conference or something. Is it? Is it? Who's is it Abe Lincoln sitting with Sherman? That one famous picture where they're like under kind of like a tent type thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, when you're getting it back into the 19th century, it's a whole. It's even worse than this. Yeah, because uh, this this is uh, mid war era. Yeah, you know, this the, this technology was between the world wars. Yeah, that's if you get idea. into the 19th century, you actually had to use tin types. So yeah. you had to use an actual view camera. This thing would have been considered super portable oh, and lightweight. Yeah, compared that, to would, those. that would have been breakaway and, civilization technology compared to them. Yeah. And and what generally happened then is people would wear neck braces and all so that they could stay still because it might take a full minute. Yeah. And you got to throw the thing in. It. So, uh, that, that's sort of the, uh, the journey of the photography. Now, there are people who still use cameras like this. Uh, it's really more of an art form now than, uh, you know, it's like you're not just taking a photograph. You're taking a photograph with a specialist, you know, sort of a, a vintage type uh, scheme. Yeah. That it, color is how you do it. Yeah. Like- Post Malone released like a song last summer and they like did the music video like with like a like a VHS kind of camera <laughs> and it had that but it was cool it had that like flavor to it what I was going to ask but I keep forgetting to ask um how does <clears throat> do they translate literally or at least loosely to a resolution yeah well the what are the things them- isn't yeah, Hasselblad of, like 8K? Well, that depends on the speed of the film. The resolution of chemical film depends on the size of the crystals and the speed, the length of exposure that you need for a certain amount of light also depends on the size of the crystals. So fast film has a lower resolution than slow film. Uh-huh. If, uh, and, and unlike a digital camera, you have to pick the speed of the film when you load the camera, especially if you're using a, a camera that uses roll film. For you my, put, sorry, I don't keep interrupting you, but for, for my camera, for my iPhone, um, I don't know if it's with this one, but I remember the last one I had, if you would choose slow, I used to take pictures of my dog barking in slow-mo because it was yeah. just fun. To, <laughs> <laughs> but you could always tell just how much light was decreased you had to turn on all the lights and it was one of those weird things where it's like it was 2020 but you still did have to choose between like yeah frames per second and light and it was always grainy i don't know know, yeah sorry and and i don't honestly know what's going on when you choose uh the speed of the film in your digital camera because when you choose the speed of the film in your film camera you're actually choosing a different chemical composition that has different sized silver halide crystals. Okay. The, uh, in the camera, 
there is a relationship. One of the interesting things, this old camera, uh, 1.3 megapixel sensor, performed really well in low light. And that's because the pixel sensors, individual pixel sensors are large. And so they gather a lot of light. Uh, one of the things that was a notorious problem when the, you were having the megapixel wars around you know, 2010 to 2015 is that you would get these you know, 20 megapixel cameras, but they would perform like shit at night because yeah. the pixel sensors don't gather enough light. Uh, I don't know what the software is doing to make that adjustment. And it just makes me nervous as shit because I don't know what's going on there, but I don't trust it because I don't know how it works. I know how film works. Uh, I do know that uh, CCDs can take long exposures. You know, exposure is exposure. You sit there with the, the aperture open, gathering light. Instead of you know, exposing the crystal to light, you're exposing the CCD uh, image sensor to the light and gathering those photons. That's straightforward. But when your camera has a setting for film speed and it's a digital camera, I don't know what they're doing there. That, 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 that's a thing that has never made any sense to me. Um, but what happens in film land is when you, may, when you choose a faster film, because you know you're going to be shooting at night or you're shooting action where you have to take shorter exposures so that it's not motion blurred, then you're using a film that has larger crystals. And so the final image is going to be grainier. Now, even bad film tends to be higher resolution than the best digital sensors. Uh, Kodachrome 25, which is kind of a benchmark, uh, has a resolution. It's considered about equivalent to 2,500 pixels per millimeter and it's 3500 millimeter it's 35 millimeter film that's a whole fuckload of megapixels for say a digital that, sensor say that again 2500 pixels per millimeter for Kodachrome 25 chemical film so there is no digital sensor that can begin to compare with that yeah, um, yeah. I think that might have been in like the documentary I was watching a couple of years ago about the Hasselblads, and they were yeah. saying they're like the reason why this resolution is so great. It was like because modern technology, like mo digital, still doesn't touch it. No, it it doesn't. You put uh, Fujichrome one hundred, okay, which is not nearly as good as Kodachrome twenty five. That was like the worst film that most magazines would consider accepting for submission unless there was a sports mag or something and they knew that you had to use a faster film uh the the standards that we were told by editors all all over the place where you use kodachrome 25 or 60 or fujichrome 50 or 100 and those are the only films we want to see uh and even fujichrome 100 probably had about a thousand pixel equivalent per millimeter uh so you had just far more information <laughs> being recorded than you do with a digital sensor, even today, uh, even with HD and uh, 8K, uh, you're just barely beginning to touch that. Uh, the best you can really do is if you take a full view camera. Now they have cameras that look like this one. 
that use eight by 10 negatives. Eight inch by 10 inch. Jesus Christ. And they also have more complicated rails that allow you to move the lens around in different ways. Uh, This allows you to do things like taking perspective pictures. You can take a picture from the base of a skyscraper where the skyscraper doesn't taper. You can you can adjust the lens so that the it's whole vertical. Huh. Okay, you can't do that with a normal camera. You have to offset the lens uh, laterally, so that it's 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 a whole art. And we I, I I've never had the means to actually uh, use a view camera, but I know a little of the theory behind them. And a lot of times when you're looking at things that are magazine centerfolds and billboards and stuff like that. Those are the cameras that are used. And yes, it costs you 10 bucks to, to press the shutter release on that camera. Yeah. But you're doing it in a studio where you have like total control over the yeah. environment. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of camera people like Andy Warhol would have used. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, your, your actual people, you know, who, who are artists of the form. And it's very, very specialized. Um, so I, yeah, no. So what did Ansel Adams use? He used film. He used black and white film. Yeah, no. That's another thing. Black and white film has a much higher resolution than color film <laughs> because color film has to have three layers, three different types of silver halide sensor with different dyes involved. Black and white film is a single substrate. So black and white film is about three or four times as fine grained as color film. That's what's so weird is you look at his pictures of Yosemite. Yeah. And they're just, well, and and he used a view camera. He used a camera with, (laughs) you know, film that size. And it was negative film. Now, uh, now, as I said, we shoot slide film, but slide film is not quite as fine grained as negative film just because of the technology involved. Ansel Adams shot negative monochrome film, which is the highest grained film that is technically possible to achieve. Well, so what, what were the resolutions? Well, you're talking about, you know, two, three, four thousand uh, equivalent pixels per millimeter over a negative that's eight by 10 inches. So it's like oh, 30 milli- thirty centimeters across. <laughs> okay, wait. So what would that math be? What would I be doing? Oh, you're talking about gigapixels per image. How about, so what? We got to do what? We got to do inches to millimeters. Inches to millimeters, which is one inch is 25.4 millimeters. Yep. So what, 12 and inches? Each millimeter of... You know that fine-grained black and white film, probably about four thousand pixels. And what, what would you say the inches was? Eight, eight, eight by ten. So now do I have to multiply that? So is it eighty times? No, call it, call it, call it eight. Call it eight inches. Okay. All right, that'll give you the number of pixels wide. Two hundred two hundred three point two millimeters. All right. Times say four thousand pixels per millimeter. Yeah, I mean that's eight hundred and twelve. That, that's eight hundred and twelve megapixels, and that's one line. And that's one line. Hit X squared to find out how, how many pixels you have on the entire film plane. 
It's Jesus going to right. Yeah, that's that's that, that's <laughs> that's CIA spy satellite. That's gigapixels. Funny you should mention that because the original CIA spy satellites used film. Yeah, Corona keyhole, and they would actually eject take pictures and eject it, and they would try to catch it with an airplane. <laughs> and they'd often fucking miss and not always yeah uh because you know that you know and and the u2 Mm -hmm. the the aircraft they they did the same thing they had these massive negatives oh yeah they would take uh as they were overflying uh the enemy airspace and that just contained just an astronomical amount of information and the digital even even today's digital doesn't come close Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I've had on. Systems could do. I've had on the. I've had on reconnaissance guys, guys that do ISR, and they talked about. They're like, oh yeah, they're like even in 2022, they're like a U2 Dragon Lady goes up one time, it will still get more information than like ten predators flying around Mm -hmm. in terms of raw data. Not even close. Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't even hold a candle to it. But uh, one of the things that is is interesting to me and and like I said you you almost have a parallel with cars is that the older cameras are understandable yeah they all use the same physics the same geometry the same films uh you may have the film in a roll you may have it in plates you you know that's film right okay at the end of the day it's sensitive to light at a certain rate, it has a certain density of granularity, and it's all the same. If you know your camera, then it all translates. Uh, with digital, it's all big fucking black box. You, yeah. you know, you're you have a few things that you can just. It's like when they tell you how many megapixels the sensor is. Yeah, you can pretty much trust that. But the light sensitivity, and when, when they tell you you have a selection for film speed, what the f- fuck is that doing i have no idea because the film speed in film is the size of the sensor literally silver halide crystals are your sensors in film and fast film has bigger sensors it has bigger crystals and so they're more grainy when you blow the picture up but they get exposed faster because they're bigger crystals and you know they get more light uh now you know exposure is something ccds do that makes sense because you can uh and and they do this in telescopes as well you know you can actually keep a ccd sensitive so that it collects light over uh, a period of time and uh if you refrigerate the ccd if you cool it then you can do that for very long shots this is how a lot of telescopes work nowadays uh but you know it, again it's like you've got some of this stuff that is like trying to get the old school film people comfortable with whatever's going on but it's kind of like the 737 max thing you know you're you know you're you're you've got a hidden con- functionality there that's making something look like something that it isn't uh-huh. and how does it fuck up because it's not documented. It's pretending to be something that it's not. And I know what film does. I, I, I was a film snob, film photographer for close to 20 years. And 
we learned a lot about how film reacts when you overexpose it, underexpose it, what f-stops mean, what, you know, we have light meters, we have all of the stuff, we, and we knew how to use it with these old school manual cameras. Uh, before I sold it, I had a 35 millimeter camera that was completely manual, had no automation at all. It was just as manual as this thing, except it was a 35 millimeter camera, and it used all of these same 35 millimeter lenses that the newer cameras use. Uh, during in the 90s, they started coming out with all of this new automation, particularly autofocus. Now, my feeling is that if you need an autofocus camera, you're not a photographer. <laughs> That's that is not a thing, you know, because you have a balance that you, as a photographer, should be thinking about between uh, film speed, yeah, depth of field focus uh the uh the depth of focus the that you know the depth of field that will be in focus um all of these things interact with one another and part of the art of photography is balancing them in order to make the picture look the way that you want sometimes what you want is a narrow depth of field so that the stuff that isn't your target will be out of focus You'll see that done in movies. You'll see that done in uh, photographs sometimes where they make the target of the photo pop because stuff that's in the foreground and in the background is all out of focus. That requires controlling the depth of field. And that means you have to control the f-stop, the film speed, the, uh, the focal length. All of these things interact to create that effect. And it's especially true of telephoto pictures. It's not that big of a deal. You know, most, you know, when they started making the cell phone cameras, uh, they were for portraiture, landscape, stuff like that. You know, they basically had such a deep uh, depth of field that anything reasonable would be in focus. And they didn't have a focus mechanism. Well, nowadays, people use their cell phones to take pictures of the serial number block on things and yeah they use them as microscopes and stuff like that so now these little dipshit cameras have to have a focus mechanism and now they have three of them on your phone because they have to have some that are more sensitive to light to get telephoto effects and they have to have some you know because people you know they found out that one size does not fit all so what do they do they put four cameras in your cell phone now i mean there's a oh, what that's a that? way to do it i mean <laughs> There was a, a there's this camera or there was this phone. Uh, fuck, I don't have a phone with. Yeah, there was um. Oh, what was it? No, there's one with like. Oh, here it is. Do, do you have your phone with you? Or do you have? Do you? I forget. Do you have a flip phone or an Android? Or look no, up this is, the light. This is a gal- this is okay. a Galaxy S5. This is a seven-year-old design. But it's still, I, was, I wasn't sure. Somebody somebody that I regularly have on the podcast has like a flip phone. I can never remember who. Um, yeah. My dad used to have one. Look up the, uh, the Light L16. Yeah, Light L16. It's fucking retarded. Well, part of it is because you've got a lens the size of a drop of water yeah 
and uh, even even this even this camera has of you know the lens is about you know a little less than an inch in diameter. This is gonna blow any cell phone away. Yeah, it's a it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, and I don't know if those other ones are. Yeah, it's got 16 with a 5 flash, or 6 flash. Yeah. Now, the, my old Galaxy S5 has one camera with one lens. It's it's old school uh, by cell phone standards. But they're trying to make cell phones do what real cameras do, and the problem is that real cameras actually have lenses that are not the size of a drop of water. And you... There's a limit to how much light they can gather and how sharp of an image they can produce simply because the lens is so small. Um, so you know. if if the resolution seems to be like we go back and it's, it gets better, and then we go back even further and it gets even better, mm-hmm. the weird question that is then begged is like, what the hell are we progressing towards? What are we evolving towards? And the only <laughs> trade-off I can imagine is availability and ease of function and yeah well, ability you, to just take a thousand i have fifty three thousand photos on my phone the fact that i can just mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost you any money to doesn't cost take a, a picture yeah this is this is one of the things that you know i've i've had to get used to with my because i have that old school mindset you cost money to press the shutter release and i've had to get used to taking the cell phone and taking a picture of things and texting it to someone to say okay this is what i found on site here why is this messed up like this? Uh, you know, rather than trying to describe it over the phone or something, uh, that's a new capability that didn't exist before. But on the other hand, those cameras, as cameras in a generic sense, are crap. But that's not new. If you think about it, you know, you had the uh, the Instamatic era in the seventies, where you had these little point-and-shoot cameras. They didn't have focus mechanisms. They took teeny little, you know, 15-millimeter-wide film negatives with cartridges, and they were terrible. I mean, they were just abominable. They were were okay for portraiture and bright light and for landscapes and stuff, but anything else, they were terrible. It's like, does this remind you of anything? This is what, you know... The, the original cell phone cameras. It was just like, okay, just like your cell phone does all of this other shit that your phone never did before. And one of the things it does now is it takes pictures. So, but they're not good pictures. They're crap pictures. But then most people were never photographers. They didn't, you know, geek out on photography. They just bought a Kodak Instamatic 135 cartridge camera and you know, loaded the cartridge and aimed it at grandma. Yeah, disposable. You know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, basically garbage quality. I had one. And uh, so cell phone cameras are actually a big step forward from that. You know, you can actually take decent pictures with a modern cell phone camera in some situations. Not all, but in some. Uh, they're especially nice for people like me whose eyes are getting old and can't see up close 
you know. So it's like, oh, we got this thing. I can't read the goddamn writing on it. Click. Oh yeah, yeah. I've oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I watched. So, my, I watched my dad do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and uh, yeah, that's a trick I picked up from coworkers who are younger than I am. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dad, why didn't you try this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm used to it costing money to click that shutter, but you know, nowadays I've got a. 64 megabyte you know 64 gigabyte sd card rather in the damn so, camera so it's like i mean you literally yeah. just pick up an iphone and just like it's like the peanuts you get as part yeah. of your flight you're just like oh and by the way here's like a 50 megapixel camera with 720 60 1080 60 4k you could also do slow-mo and portrait yeah. but you're like huh <laughs> in fact i was i was on site at a uh at a uh a job the other day and we had a QR code scanner as part of, you know, part of this kiosk we were putting in for truck drivers. And we needed a QR code to test the scanner. And so I whipped out the cell phone and I have all of the QR codes my dad has sent me for the movie passes to get us into the movies. And I just mm-hmm. picked one of them up and showed it to him. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> yeah, it's. It is a it, there is a weird thing of the the progression forward that's seemingly backwards. Like I saw like a like a gif the other day of some like flight from the 1950s, and it's like we are moving backwards as a society. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's like, sure, you look on it, and it's like, yeah, it's a bunch of like buxom flight attendees, and they've got their like you know whatever their whatever the fuck whoever designed the a uniform and every guy's being served like a steak and like a brandy it's like sure but the efficiency of flights now the ease at mm-hmm. which you can get one you're right you can use your phone to buy a ticket to get an uber to bring you there you can walk pick right your, through pick your seat pick your seat and find the hotel that you're staying at the efficiency oh, yeah. is up and no it's not some golden era of you know just jfk's in office and you're getting served the entire turkey in first class but it's available to more people now you can use it for like utilitarian Mm -hmm. purposes like i can the night before use my phone to buy a ticket from my parents house in new hampshire to go fly down and meet alex jones like you know like that's absurd like you're wearing a shirt out of a design I made on an iPad as someone who's self-taught at graphic design available at the merch store. But like there is a trade-off that it's not all, it's not all rose tinted where we look back and we're like, it used to be better. It's like when you see those videos on those people that like AI upscale videos from like 1910 or something of like Coney Island on YouTube. They're great. And they colorize them and everything. But you always look at the comments and it's like, look at all those people. Not a single skinny person. Not a single person with tattoos. Back in the good old days. And it's like, yeah, that was nine years before women could vote. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Hey, yeah. Notice how they're all skinny? Yeah. Notice how they're all in top hats? Yeah. Yeah. Notice all the black people? Oh, no, there aren't any. (laughs) Huh. Isn't that a little weird? Yeah. Back when they had manners. Yeah. Do you know why everyone had manners? Because half the generation was just slaughtered in World War One. Like, dude, it's not all... That's now I'm just kind of going on a personal rant, but whenever I see those videos and they're no, like, but it's a very good one actually. It's but, one that I completely agree with. The, uh, when the, you look back and they're like, back yeah. when things were different. It's like, yeah, there's a Model T with no airbags. Like, yes, no things or seat aren't belts. 
or seatbelt. And it's like, yeah. And, and that was a half century before black people could vote. So it's like, yes, we can have these very idyllic, the cruise liners of 1910. Like it is, but man, I'll take a modern time where maybe some people are fat. Maybe we have some gross tattoos yeah. and maybe we're always on phones for the most part. I understand there's still a lot of problems in the world for the most part. I would take the social advances of today. Well, yeah. And, and it's particularly bothersome that some people are so intent on working those backward. Right. Insane. Uh, insane. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the thing about not having any blacks, not having gay people, not having anybody with tattoos. That's uh, yeah. I mean, we are an outlier as a civilization and that we had several generations for whom tattoos were taboo. Yeah. That was unheard of. That's, that's simply not. And, and I say this as a guy who does not have any tattoos because that was the generation that I was born into. Yeah. And uh, I've thought about it, but I think you should get never never quite, never quite got over the hump. Yeah. Uh, But you know, it's, you know, it was a culture shock when my company based in the deep South bought a bunch of offices in on the West coast uh, because some of our most productive employees that we had just acquired were like extremely tatted up and, you know, just, yeah, they're probably, was, they're probably minorities. They're probably liberal and smoke weed. Yeah. <sighs> and, yeah. And, and in fact, one of them, this was this was a, a a funny thing. This is like we're still getting used to the idea that we have valuable employees who just happen to have a hobby of getting tatted up and their tattoos all over their bodies. And one of the, the the guys on the West Coast, when we chose a new corporate logo a couple of years ago, went straight out and got a tat of our new corporate logo because he worked for us. This is part of his history, you know. So it's like, ah, sure, and, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the, uh, the 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 guy that was you know that's the way that he functions. It's like yeah, this is part of my history. I work for this company. Hey, man, we got a new a marketing person, a new corporate logo, and we're all one big happy company here. Okay, yeah, right in his arm there, and uh, and 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 the and the local guys in Louisiana and Mississippi are just like um, that that yeah that blasphemer <laughs> to Christ. Like, you know, yeah. it, it's fucking. I'm gonna pull up one of those videos right now. We're gonna read the. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll finish this one up with reading yeah. the uh, the comments. Let's see. Yeah. And we got, well, we have uh, one guy. He's a manager uh, who uh, spent most of his time in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, went out to the West Coast and uh, decided to go to church because he's a devout Protestant. And so he goes to this Protestant church that's full of people who are tatted up and everything. And this you know, older lady, you know, sidles up by him and says, yo, uh, you're from the South, aren't you? You're finding this a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> she just made him from across the room. <laughs> you don't like, like you're it. You're not from around here, are you? <laughs> you ain't from around here, boy. You like what? <laughs> All right, so I just I just googled uh ten, I just googled nineteen ten footage. That's what I or yeah, I YouTube it. Top result by Dennis Shiriev, nineteen million views, four K sixty FPS, a trip through New York City in nineteen eleven. There's the pinned comment by the the content creator, sure. All right. Third comment. 
can't get over how nicely every single person is dressed. Sure. All things considered, those streets looked pretty clean. Now, I don't know if there's any underlying meaning in there. Well, by 1910, you really didn't have the horse manure and shit that you had sure. in the streets. The, you know. But rich or poor, they all had class. They looked amazing. Look how well-behaved everyone is. Everyone there is a gentleman. We are so backwards now. And that's the thing is like, I also get that there's zero purpose or value in me getting worked up over this. There's truly not. That being said, when I look at that stuff, I do think that there is sort of, it's completely glossing over because when you simply look at something and you see a time when every woman is in like a nice dress and every guy is in a three piece suit. Sure. It's easy to look at it and go, we've, we've gone backwards. Why, why wouldn't you be upset? Why is the world you're in now worse than the one then to me? When, when you make these comments, and again, none of this critique matters in the grand scheme of everything. Nothing fucking matters. But when I look at that, the, what that critique is, is it's, it's a, why is Ansel Adams' picture so much better? How come he has giggle pixels, pixels and I don't? He also no. couldn't do that. Not every illiterate person could just pick up a phone and take a picture of their grandma. You just couldn't do that. No. So when no, you these, look, these cameras required skill. Skill. And- yeah, experience to operate, and and you know, every time you press that shutter release to learn that lesson about whether it works or not costs money, whether it works or not that particular time. So you know, we we learned that the hard way back in the eighties. You know, we took you know we we spent a lot of money getting film developed that was crap uh, before we figured out how it how it works and you know what the balance is, and you know, doing like large format, which Ansel Adams did is that much more expensive. They all look fabulous. Every woman is so elegant. Every man is beautiful. Back when people were crisp and well-groomed and they had respect. I mean, sure, but there is a, yeah, they all look snazzy. They all they were all white. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, well, let's really break it. And you know me, I'm, I'm no social justice warrior, but I mean, let's look back at it. Yeah. No, no. You don't see a single black person. Right. You have cars with no seatbelts, no airbags on the road with horses. Yeah, look at all those kids. Well, well-behaved kids, well-dressed kids. Uh, I wonder what set of kids their family's on because the first two generations died of diphtheria. Mm-hmm. But do you know what I mean? Like, so, and again, this critique means nothing. It's a random Sunday night March, but yeah. I do look and, at it as a trade-off. And, 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 and the, another thing that, uh, you have is, is the the very people who are getting Herman Cain awards because yeah, yeah that's good they uh, because they uh, are, are railing against immunizations and all are here to rail against it because they were immunized <laughs> with children <laughs> yeah. So yeah yeah they didn't die of polio or diphtheria or, or smallpox or anything in fact yesterday I got my second shingle shot. And uh, I got a tetanus booster in October. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, I was talking about it with my wife and she was asking, you know, she was like saying, you know, it is kind of amazing that they developed the COVID vaccine so quickly. And I reminded her the reason they were able to do that is the technology, the mRNA technology was really being aimed at cancer mm-hmm. and immunizing you against your own cancer cells which would be a custom job every time a new patient came in. That was why they were developing this technology. And they weren't really there. They're not there with cancer. But when COVID came along, it turned out that that technology 
was readily adaptable and COVID turned out to be a much easier target than cancer when you have this technology. So that's the whole reason that we have this, these vaccines that are like 80, 90% effective compared to this year's flu vaccine, which is a complete dud. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, like they, a- they've, they've out and out admitted the flu vaccine this year was completely ineffective against the flu that was actually out there. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. So, uh, that, you know, the, you know, things change and all, uh, but there's all these shifting sands, as it were. You've got things that were better in some ways and are now worse, and you've got things that were worse and are sometimes, you know, are, are better. Uh, you know, I used to drive a 1971 Ford F100 pickup truck, which I bought in 1985. It had rust holes that I uh, had to plug with uh, metal that I got from a swimming pool that my neighbors discarded and a pop rivet gun. And it had, it was manual everything. Three on the tree, you know, okay. Transmission, clutch, everything. Uh, But, you know, once we fixed all the stuff that was wrong with it, because it had never been taken care of, uh, that that truck was just like you know it was a monster. Now it also got thirteen miles to the gallon. Instead of my Jeep in high school. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't have that truck anymore. Yeah. And I wish I still had a truck because sometimes I want to go to Home Depot and pick up a piece of plywood and I can't anymore because I don't have a truck. But on the other hand, I don't have a vehicle sitting in the driveway that I'm paying you know three or four hundred dollars a year for auto insurance on that I drive once a month. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have all these balances going on and, uh, you know, that truck didn't have airbags. It didn't have effective seatbelts. Uh, I didn't start wearing seatbelts until I got a, 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 uh, Geo Metro, I think it was, it was, uh, it was whatever the Toyota Corolla was called when Chevy sold it as a Geo, uh, bought the car. Uh, because it ran, it was just like, wasn't really in the market for such a small car. Cause I had always driven big cars, big, old, dumb cars. And I had this little car that was nimble and you know, very responsive and felt nice, but it was also, it all, it also weighed less than 2000 pounds. So it was like, <laughs> started yeah, putting the damn yeah. seatbelt on M- and M- m1 v1 equals m was it m- <laughs> m1 plus m2 times v1 plus yeah that that yeah i remember m- that equation one half m- mv squared yeah yeah no, i remember that one from physics the elastic and it's just yeah it's <laughs> yeah so it was like okay yeah uh now uh i had a a uh what was it another toyota that uh it wasn't the corolla it was next one up camry that was my work car for a few years and one day uh totally not my fault got in a wreck this woman i think she was doing this doing the cell phone thing decided to take a left turn didn't bother to look to see whether there was another vehicle coming from the other direction and she t-boned me I mean, if she had been trying to kill me, she could not have made a better hit on the driver's side door of my car. Knocked the car 15 feet off course, 
turned me around. It was like, you know, and by the way, did you know that the front grill of a Jeep Cherokee is six feet high and 12 feet wide? Because that's what it looks like when you look out the path at the, at the driver's side window and see it coming for you. <laughs> and I walked away. And I didn't realize what a miracle that was until I looked at the car afterward and realized how carefully that car folded up. Mm hmm. To protect me and get yes. the Jeep out of the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, the it turned out that the seat zones. Had, yeah, the, yeah. The seat had jammed up against the center hump. And you know, there was all these little things that had obviously been engineered in to keep the integrity of the the you know, of, of, of the passenger compartment. And I realized. After, after you know, it's like it was like a couple of days after the accident, I realized you know if I'd been driving an older car, I would probably be dead. Hundred percent. And uh, so you know, sometimes it is better. But it's, on the it's, other it's hand, a, it's a trade-off. You know, maybe it's not a beautiful yeah. 1970s car or 1950s whatever. But there's yeah. the trade-off, and that's yeah. But on the but on the other hand, then you get a little newer and everything's on a freaking touchscreen panel instead of having real controls. And you don't, you know, one of the things I found out about my Fusion is that it's a drive-by-wire car. There's not a cable connecting the accelerator That's to good. the throttle body. That's fun. <laughs> and the way I found out about it was one day I put the car in gear and got ready to, to go home. Press, you know, turn, I had the air conditioner on and I pressed the accelerator. And right as I pressed the accelerator, the air conditioner kicked in. So there was this huge load on the engine and the whole car went whoop. And then it was like the accelerator wouldn't do anything. It's like, what the fuck? And there was this error thing going on on the instrument console. <laughs> so the engine would idle, but it wouldn't accelerate. So I managed to limp it back into the parking space. And I went inside and uh, we got the girl has the GPSs that uh, they're, they're plugged into the ODBC connector. So I asked her, is, is, did my car throw a code? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's your car through a code. And I looked that up and there, it turns out that the throttle body is electronically controlled and there's a motor and there's a sensor. And if the sensor doesn't report back to the computer what the computer wants the position of the throttle body to be, it throws a conniption fit and puts the car in limp mode. Now, to me, that's a software error because the car shouldn't do that. It was, it was, it was a fraction of a second error that has absolutely nothing to do with the car's normal performance but uh whoever wrote the software didn't consider the fact this component is going to age and yeah. it's going to stop reacting quite as quickly as it did when it was new and that you might have to give it a little latitude when the air conditioner compressor comes on at the same time that you press the accelerator when the engine is cold so i have since learned not to do that but it's like it's stuff like that you know, old cars didn't do shit like that. And, so, you know, you know in a hundred years, they will look back at, at home videos taken from family vacations on planes and be like, back in the good old days, you used to be able to walk up to the cockpit and the pilot would show you the controls. And it's like, yeah, but you guys haven't got to the 9-11 section yet. 
Like <laughs> it's not all, you know, back when you could drive your own car. Hey, I'm all for driving your own car, but it's like, Hey, you ever seen like a live leak video of a body being pulled out of a wrecked car? And it looks like the head is full of like red spaghetti. Mm. There's trade-offs. So no, it's, it's not Ansel Adams. And it's probably the majority of pictures are dick pics, but you know, <laughs> it's also but, easy to take them with something that you have in your pocket anyway, it's great, all the other shit that it does. It's great. You don't need a, a 15 gigapixel Ansel Adams monochrome shot at your tiny dick. You know, <laughs> just be happy with what you have. I don't really know what the takeaway from this episode was. It's just Roger and I just rambling into the void. It's but, like the good old days back when we, we used to do this. Remember, you yeah. know, back before you were all business, like last week I was a politician sandwich. You had a representative before <laughs> me and a representative after me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay true to my, <laughs> my roots, Roger. I still, I still, I fucking make time. And I still have you back on here. I will be, I'll be interviewing presidents of nations and you and I will still be doing history of porn <laughs> videos. Anyway, Professor Rogers. By the, oh, a special by the way, I was I was I was going to ask you if you ever uploaded the history of porn video to Rumble because they all wanted... are. If the search isn't working, you just have to go back manually. Every video is on okay. Rumble. Okay, okay, I'll have to if, look for it then. And if you come up in the search, and you no, know, the search for Rumble fucking sucks. Um, Spotify I is probably noticed that. Yeah, Spotify is good in that because there's no video, you can just scroll through quickly. Even with Rumble, even though I uploaded all of them the chronology starts fucking up once you go back like 200 episodes so okay yeah i noticed that they're yeah, they're like it's not good it's not good but um no they're all there they're 100 percent there um i'll just have oh, to go through the master list then and go unfortunately you just gotta yeah. get a cup of coffee and just go because i because i did the 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 search for Tommy's podcast, Roger Williams. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's not, a lot fucking, of them. That, that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, doesn't. What are you doing with okay. keywords, thinking that was going to work? <laughs> no, no. I've had people tell me that. They're like, I search for your podcast. I'm like, why would you do that, you fucking idiot? <laughs> you got to find a direct link. Uh, so I'll go to my own content. Roger Williams, one sixty nine, one seventy four, two fifty seven, two twenty nine, two eighty one more. Unless some of the older ones do show up. Yeah, bless your heart, YouTube phenomena by Annie Jacobson. Yeah, history of curated this Putin have functional. Let's see, science of measuring light, tarot cards, mortal passage, COVID kids, rite of passage, censorship of advocates, censorship and stonks. No, we're gonna find it. History of pornography, <laughs> episode one eighty five. Text it to you right now. Okay, great. Done. Um. Oh, uh, oh, I wanted to uh, tell you to. No, it just came through. Yeah. Uh, the next curator's reading is going to feature a new character who loves guns and hunting and is a positive character who will be a very important person in the future of the human race. And named Dale Comstock? No. But uh, <laughs> you, will, you, will, you will see some, uh, probably some similarity with other people that you know. And the reading after that uh, will actually contain one of the major inflection points equivalent to the invention of the fire bow as far as defining humanity's capabilities in this future history. So we got some good shit coming up in the curators. 
Fuck yeah. On this coming Sunday, I got a guy at four. I'm going to try to move him to two and move you to four. And if I can't do that, I can give you the two slot or the six slot. But I think I only have one yeah. this coming Sunday. So we'll absolutely yeah. get back into the curators. Two, two and six are both fine. Just let me know. Beautiful. I'll, I'll email him right now so I don't forget. Um, but not that this is part of the this. What am I doing? What am I doing? I don't need to do this right now. I'll email. I can't. I can't multitask. This is the third episode <laughs> today. My, my brain's yeah. fucking cooked. Um, I, I was going to mention. Uh, my dad mentioned is uh, you know maybe a purpose of nothing, but he thought you looked a little ragged uh, when he watched our last one. You know, I think you, I told him he's like, I think Tommy may have been burning the candle at all three ends. I've been doing that a lot lately. It's uh, yeah, I get yeah. I'm my my plan for this year is to get 365 episodes in like a normal person i'm way ahead of it right now today is what march 27th so 31 mm-hmm. 28 59 79 66 no 86 or 86 days into the new year and my first episode of this year was 653 this is episode 763 so i'm at 110 episodes 86 days into the year so i've got okay. got a 24 day lead on my impossible goal you're 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 well on your way to doing four digit episode numbers, dude. I know. I'm th- I th- I, I, a thousand might be lining up with like New Year's or something, so that would be cool. Yeah. My, I haven't. You're gonna have to I, figure out who you want on for your. Well, I have. Big I've thought about episode. that. I've thought about that. I don't know how I'm gonna do. I might go just like. I might just like have my parents on or something, and I feel like this is buried enough in an episode they won't find oh. it. Think that or have an or, or have an ensemble episode. Have like me, Dale, maybe have, a couple of your everybody. other buddy. Yeah, just some, sort of have a round table. Do some riddling and just have like eighty people appear <laughs> on over, over the just like power hour. I'm like everybody gets ten seconds on. Um, might do. It you get a my, car. You get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. <laughs> I might. I might have like my like my dad on or something. I think that would kind of be like a cool like honoring of your elders for episode a mm-hmm. thousand. Or I've thought about. I want to get like a green screen. And, you know, like sometimes when I can't get an author, I'll just go over a book that I like. You and I did it mm-hmm. with Phenomena by Annie Jacobson. Yeah. I thought about getting that book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and just talk about <laughs> the importance of like leverage. But yeah. I want a green screen behind me of a video, and I want it to make it look like I'm on like a little like dinghy. And I just want Epstein's Island behind me. And I'm just <laughs> going to talk about the book. And never once address the pedophilic blackmail center. And I'll be like, listen, the halls of power are in the mines. They just have like a torture chamber with the Mossad on there. I don't know. That's so there's two ways. Maybe, maybe give homage to my elders. <laughs> Pretend I'm outside of Epstein's Island. I haven't decided. I haven't decided which one. Maybe hey, somewhere it's, in between. It's your podcast, dude. Whatever you decide. Ah, fuck. I wish it was sooner. I'd, I'd get Zelensky and Putin on together. I'd be like, all right, neither of you knew that I was bringing the other on, and I'd bring the screens together, and I'd be like, here you are. They would just both sign off. They'd be like, yeah. off. Oh, you know, I uh, I did a Daily Coast uh, article on the subject of our last discussion about what whether the nukes. nukes still work, uh, and that ended up being the most popular thing I've ever put on Daily Coast. I love some of the comments from last week. If people commenting on that video, you can always tell when we pissed off some like Russian people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Zelensky is corrupt authoritarian. 
he's no hero. And the other one is like, American sheep are dumber than corrupted. The last one's like, oh, is, does this guy know who daddy is? A soldier? I think not, Roger. I'm like, that's not even upset. You can always tell when you pissed off. They're like, stupid American pigs. And it's like, shut up, Vlad. I know, what you're, I know you're commenting, you dumb pig. Um, no, that was an awesome episode. Um, but, Raj, let's wrap this bitch up. We'll resume next week with some readings. We'll find out whether 2 or 6 p.m. And as always, just follow up with me the day before so I don't sure. blank out. Yeah. Uh, book available on Lulu or Amazon. If you want to give money to Roger, do Lulu. If you want to hail the uh, the great uh, Jeff Bezos and his trillion dollar empire, uh, I don't know, go buy it there or some shit. And um, yeah. Or uh, if you want the ebook, doesn't matter. Then get it from Amazon anyway. Yeah. And if you want to join a militia, militia, we could just take the podcast down to Guadalajara and join a cartel. Maybe you don't want the book. You just want to join a militia. Um, <laughs> for legal purposes, that was a joke. So. <laughs> I need to get some fucking rest. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, Raj. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell See time. you next week. All right, big